0: This is the World Bank's Infrastructure Podcast. In this episode, we discuss how to mine sustainably for minerals and metals, many of which are needed in the clean energy transition. And don't forget to listen to the summary at the end of the podcast. I was driving my new electric car, proud to be green and emissions-free. But then I started thinking of what it took to make that car, the minerals coming from all over the world to make the batteries and electric motor that were powering me along. Countries around the world supply these. For example, the Democratic Republic of the Congo has cobalt, which has become a critical mineral for its own economy and worldwide, for powering batteries that will store energy from renewables. Chile is an important producer of lithium, a key component for batteries. And recently, Chile is improving the way it was managing its lithium mining in order to limit the impact on its water resources, in order to mine sustainably. Countries around the world can mitigate the climate and environmental effects of mining to make the green revolution truly green. Let's find out how. Good morning and welcome. I am Ramin Islam, your host for Tell Me How. And today I have with me Christopher Sheldon and Daniele Laporta, experts in mining, who will tell us about climate smart mining of minerals and metals to support renewable energy growth. Welcome to the two of you.
1: Thank you, Ramin. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for having us.
0: Thanks so much, Ramin. Looking forward to it. Thank you both. So, Danielle and Christopher, When did you first begin studying this issue and why has it become increasingly important today?
2: So we began looking at this topic about four years ago, as there was a real growing interest in understanding the impacts of the global energy transition on minerals and metals. So it turns out that the new low-carbon energy technologies are indeed very mineral-intensive.
1: And to answer the second part, why uh, is it becoming so important today? So there's Two distinct aspects to this acceleration. Firstly, the rapidly falling costs in deploying these low-carbon technologies, including wind, solar, but especially batteries. And secondly, the public policies and the international commitments to decarbonize the energy systems. They've really expanded. So there's this growing consensus that the climate agenda should be at the forefront of the recovery.
0: There is definitely an emerging consensus that the climate agenda needs attention, that we need to accelerate Uh, toward renewable energy production. So increasing demand for the minerals and metals critical for this energy transition, I guess this will be very good for developing countries that can export these minerals as they will benefit from higher prices and revenues, won't they?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, we we believe so. There's a lot of promise for growth that can come from that, but there's also a few challenges. So firstly, you've got to know what endowments the country has so that it can really estimate that value and attract the investment in. Secondly, uh, ensuring that the revenues from mining, that they're going to be used to really benefit the citizens of the country more broadly. And thirdly, managing the climate, environmental, and the social consequences of increased mining activities. And that's a lot of the focus of what we're talking about today.
0: Yes, to be sure, managing natural resources well and sustainably, that that's not a simple matter at all. And we're going to get more into that later in the podcast, but maybe we can first clarify What are the low carbon technologies that we're going to be talking about here? Because there are several such technologies. Daniela, would you like to take that?
2: Sure. Yes, there are several. And our research uh, initially focused on three specific energy technologies, wind, solar, and batteries, as these three are currently the main providers of renewable energy globally. But there are other technologies, and we are looking at those right now as well. For example, low-carbon hydrogen, which has become uh, increasingly important,
0: geothermal, and nuclear. Yes, these three technologies are indeed the most prevalent, and their costs are also falling quite dramatically. Um, So it's a good idea to, to be studying these. But for these three main technologies, what are the minerals and metals that are the most important?
2: So our work, our research, focused on 17 minerals and metals for which demand may rise. Um, If you look at some of them, such as copper, nickel, molybdenum, and aluminum, they play an important role across a wide range of renewable energy technologies, while others are indeed needed to supply specific technologies. For example, a wind turbine requires significant amounts of neodymium, while solar panels require indium and silver. But the real jump in demand is really related to batteries, um, energy storage is the one generating the most mineral demand growth for minerals such as lead, lithium,
0: cobalt, graphite, and zinc. So you mentioned several minerals there, some of which you know I'm very familiar with from my chemistry classes long <laughs> ago. But there are some that you know um, I've never heard of and I still have problems saying properly. I think Daniela, you mentioned new new. Dymium, Fair right? Dymium. Yes. Yes. All right. So I understand that storage is key, given the fluctuations in in wind and solar production. But uh, what kind of increase in demand do you foresee, and for these minerals and metals? And what assumptions are you making about renewables expansion?
2: Yeah. So in order to to do our research, we had to use several assumptions, and we used three climate change scenarios: business as usual, which implies keeping global warming at or below 3.5 degrees Celsius, then there's the two degrees Celsius, and then the very ambitious target of 1.5 degrees Celsius. We found that demand for minerals such as graphite, lithium, and cobalt could increase by up to 500% by 2050 if we want to keep global warming at or below two degrees Celsius. Just to give you an idea, we will need 3 billion tons of minerals and metals, as well as energy storage. That's quite a significant number. Very hard to even imagine what it means, but it's equivalent to about 300,000 Eiffel Towers.
0: 300,000 Eiffel Towers. That's really very hard to imagine. Now, how did you estimate that? Did you do that, Daniele? Well, it was a team, but yes, we did that. (laughs) We crunched the numbers. (laughs) Good imagery. All right. So I understand that these minerals and metals are not liberally sprinkled around the globe. So who actually mines them and who exports them? Christopher, would you like to take this one?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, Actually, minerals are fairly widespread, but there's usually a handful of countries that uh, account for most of the supplies of each of these particular uh, minerals or metals. China and Australia are very big exporters. Uh, But a lot of developing countries of South Africa, very strong position in the market uh, for platinum, which goes into fuel cells. Guinea has got the world's largest reserves of high quality bauxite that you need for producing aluminium. In the case of lithium, for example, this uh, lithium triangle of countries in South America, Chile, Argentina, and Bolivia, they enjoy an extremely strong market position in lithium. Chile and Brazil, they um, they stand to gain from increases in the demand for copper and iron ore, respectively, while Indonesia, Philippines, uh, they could really stand to benefit a lot from the increased demand for nickel for batteries.
0: So, Christopher, is the lithium triangle anything like the Bermuda Triangle?
1: <laughs> no, I think it's a bit safer, and you might actually come out of it a bit richer.
0: Oh, well, that's good to know. So, okay, so I understand that there are initiatives exploring energy storage in different forms, so that, you know, such as heat or more pumped hydro, and that's certainly going to affect demand for battery storage. So how do you expect technology to affect markets in the next few years?
2: Yeah, so I think it's safe to say that the 17 or so uh, metals that we looked in our analysis will r- rise in demand and price. Um, So there are those minerals such as copper, which are needed for all the clean energy technologies. And so we expect that commodity to do well. So other minerals are more dependent on discrete clean energy technologies or even sub-technologies. For example, look at the battery space. There's a lot of innovation happening there. And there are currently six major kinds of lithium ion batteries being produced for electric vehicles. Each of those has a different mineral composition. So it's a bit too early to say which EV battery type will win, um, which complicates predictions on the expected demand for these minerals.
0: Yes, well I'm sure there are many like me who don't even know that there are six different battery types going into electric vehicles. Thank you for that. Um, So so with these predictions I I think are very difficult with technology changing so very fast. But can we talk a bit about recycling and its impact on supply? Would uh, just recycling be sufficient to meet increasing demand? And is there any recycling now? Who, who recycles? That's a great question, Ramin,
2: because recycling and reuse of minerals, it will become more important in meeting the growing mineral demand. Uh, recycling of some of these critical minerals, it's still at very early stages. But aluminum and copper, for example... The recycling of these um, minerals is is already happening at fairly high rates, especially in OECD countries, but also growing in major developing countries, including China and India. But I think it's very important to emphasize that even if we scale up recycling rates for minerals like copper and aluminum by 100%, recycling and reuse would still not be enough to meet the demand for renewable energy.
0: Okay, that's important to know why don't we move on to the environmental climate impacts of mining for minerals and metals? What are these? Daniele, would you like to take this first? Sure. So the
2: environmental impacts are both global in the form of greenhouse gas emissions and also local in the form of water quality and quantity and impacts on local forestry and biodiversity. Of course, uh, this additional mining that needs to happen means you also have significant more waste. But I think it's very important to note that any increase in the greenhouse gas emissions due to the growing demand for these minerals would be of a magnitude much smaller than if we were to continue to use fossil fuels for electricity on a business-as-usual basis.
0: Absolutely. Otherwise, there'd be no point in going for renewables, would there? Absolutely. Well, could, we, could you expand on the local environmental impacts a bit, Daniel? Yes. Yeah, so locally, the environmental
2: impacts of this increased uh, extraction and processing of the climate action minerals, as we call them, it varies. But for example, with copper being extracted at concentration levels of under 1%, and because of the, the waste, impacts are large. Just to kind of explain in simple terms, uh, one doesn't just find lumps of copper lying around. The copper is mixed within the rock. So to extract the copper, you need to break up that rock, then put the whole thing in a big tank of solvent. And the chemical process will then separate the copper and it will
0: rise to the top. But once that copper is separated, the rest is waste. You you said that copper... If it's at concentration levels of under 1%, then it creates a lot of waste. Is that normally how it's found? Is it normally at such low concentration levels that you find it?
1: These days it is, and increasingly smaller and smaller concentrations as oh, the better see. resources have been developed, which which means as we need more of it, the likelihood is that we'll find grades that are lower, which needs you know more mining and even more waste to get the same amount of copper that we need today. So you can see here, more than 99% is waste under normal circumstances, but they could even get lower.
2: And also, um, if we take lithium, for example, particularly brining, it requires enormous amounts of water, which unless, you know, very carefully managed, could reduce water for use by communities, for example.
0: But what is brining? Sorry, Danielle, before you move on. So brining
2: is the process where lithium is usually found as a salt diluted into water, groundwater. So you need to pump that groundwater out of the ground and then you have to let the water evaporate so then you can concentrate the lithium. Just to give you an idea, in 2019, water used from lithium brine production alone was equivalent to almost 50,000 Olympic-sized pools. It's even hard to imagine how much water that is. So it's really due to these uh, and other environmental impacts that we need to do mining in a climate smart mining way so we can better manage the impacts.
0: Okay, you're really throwing out some very large numbers there. Fifty thousand Olympic-sized pools, three hundred thousand Eiffel towers. I think we should get down to doing climate smart mining straight away. So, how does one go about doing it?
1: Yes. So, yeah, we we'll, we agree with you first of all. But um, so we, we want to start with a structured way of looking at the issues in a particular country. So we develop that structure. Climate smart mining is organised along four key themes: uh, climate mitigation, climate adaptation reducing material impacts and lastly the market opportunities. So the first three themes they're really identifying specific actions to mitigate um, climate and material footprints from mining extraction but right through to end use and the market opportunities theme that really focuses on how you know, we can help developing countries make the most of the opportunity that's coming from the demand the growing demand for these minerals um, and also we look at things like carbon trading and how that can be used to to help support this.
0: So the fourth theme is a bit different from the first three. So should we go into more detail on the first three themes of climate smart mining?
1: Sure. Daniel, do, do you want to take those? And I can take the last one.
0: Sure. I'll be happy to take um, the first
2: three. So to give you an example of a few interventions that minimize the climate and the material footprint of mining along these supply chains. One obvious one is using clean energy in mining operations we really need to keep in mind that the mining sector alone accounts for up to 11% of global energy use. And mining operations in remote areas often rely on diesel or coal for energy. So, and even beyond mineral extraction and processing, we need to look at the whole supply chain to identify direct and indirect emissions to see where these greenhouse gas emission reductions can happen and where policies are needed to incentivize this. An example, using aluminum to produce solar PVs, um, preventing deforestation from mining and its infrastructure is also very important and key to being climate smart. Christopher, would you like to add to that?
1: Yeah, just, just to pick up on this indirect emissions, because the mining companies, they need to work not only on their own business, but also with the other industries in all the steps along the supply chain you know, to ensure that they also adopt zero emission technologies as well. So it's really got to be a joint up effort.
0: Yeah, I think that makes it really quite complicated, trying to coordinate everybody's emissions. It's a big effort. Uh, Where does climate adaptation come into this? Does mining then create problems that countries need adaptation policies for?
2: Yes, mining can exacerbate the vulnerabilities that a changing climate already brings. So poor land use planning can really exacerbate climate impacts and stress ecosystems that are already very stressed. And government needs to be involved and set the rules to mitigate these impacts. This stress can ultimately affect the sustainable livelihoods of local communities.
0: And what about, maybe you could mention a a couple of ways that uh, one can reduce the material impacts of mining. So we've spoken about mitigation and adaptation. Let's go into the third theme. Yes,
2: so on the material impacts, one example is water resources and how that additional mining will impact it. Water recycling is very important. Mining projects need to reuse water to reduce their water consumption. Waste management is also key. So, but thanks to technology, a lot of improvements are already happening.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming there's that. There's really quite a lot of demand for new technologies that can help you manage waste. I mean, we were just talking about the huge waste that uh, comes along with copper mining. And there are so many potential side effects that I understand much better now. Now, the management challenges must be related to, I guess, adopting policies and procedures to support these mitigation adaptation efforts, amongst other things. Is that right?
1: Oh, in, in, indeed they are. And, and the different aspects of management, they have to be all considered together. Um, and, and one thing that's very important, as the demand for the minerals really takes off and the countries, they really need to manage their revenues. You know, just um, you know, they're, they're exchanging essentially an asset in the ground, a natural asset, for cash, for a financial asset. But eventually those resources are going to run out. Um, Now, the first step in managing an asset, of course, is knowing how much you have. And a lot of lower income countries, they simply don't know. They just don't have the geological data. So what we help uh, do is to fund um, the initial exploration phase for these countries, help to gather data with airborne geophysics, um, understand it, interpret that data so that they can identify these resources. We're, We're providing tens of millions of dollars for this through World Bank financing, but also to develop capacity of these countries to help them identify and value their climate action mineral endowments. So developing countries, particularly in in Africa, um, there's a huge uh, wealth of geological knowledge to be obtained and they can really benefit a lot from this.
0: What I don't understand is why countries need World Bank involvement in this endeavour. Wouldn't private investors be interested in capturing the rights to mine these minerals and metals? I mean, this must be a very profitable business.
1: Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, the private sectors they do the detailed exploration for the minerals. That's absolutely correct. But it's a risky business, and um, you know they like to put their money where they think the you know the chances are best. So this early exploration is where the government comes in. Just think of it a little bit like trying to find a needle in a haystack. The government needs to do the initial work to sort of help direct the private sector to the right haystack with the most potential, Then the private sector comes in. It's up to them to find the needle. Another aspect is uh, knowledge, you know, awareness raising. It's really important for the overall effort. Chile, they're quickly transitioning their mining sector uh, to being low carbon, and one of the instruments that helped them think that through and and you know how to really get there was the Climate Smart Mining Roadmap that the Chileans developed using the Climate Smart Mining Framework from the World Bank.
0: So we're doing two kinds of things, at least, you know, um, from what I just understood. First, we're helping with the mitigating risk. To find the haystack.
1: Yeah, that's right. When we find
0: the haystack, we mitigate risk. And second, you know that um, Chile is using this this roadmap. It demonstrates very well how important it is to have a global knowledge base um, that countries can draw on to do their own reforms. Shall we move on a bit and talk a bit about the market based solutions
2: block? So this is a great question, uh, Rumin, and one that we're currently exploring uh, through one of our projects uh, related to forest smart mining. So historically, the mining sector has tended to regard land impact as purely an issue of biodiversity. And this stems partially uh, from a lack of awareness. And uh, we're working with various stakeholders to try and understand and
0: address the problem. I think it's very important to work with the different stakeholders involved, both at the country level and and globally, um, to actually get at the root of the problem. But are you also working uh, on any new tools that might help government and business to implement this overall climate smart mining initiative?
2: Yes, and right now we're working on a really exciting tool so to help identify actions to curb emissions from these critical minerals, we are developing a lithium dashboard. So what this dashboard does is map out the greenhouse gas emissions along the supply chain from lithium extraction and processing for lithium ion batteries all the way to EV assemblies uh, and shipment to customers. So we intend this vast dashboard to be a tool for mining companies, manufacturers, governments, and policymakers to measure the environmental footprint associated with the supply chain and help them make decisions on how to best reduce greenhouse gas
0: emission actions. Okay, that that's really terrific, given how important lithium is in this whole in this whole exercise, and I think a dashboard like that must would be a very useful tool for, and particularly as it will allow everybody, the manufacturers, governments, everybody to get get around the same information base, particularly paired with the global knowledge that you've got on the Climate Smart Mining Roadmap. So when will this tool be ready?
1: So uh, fairly advanced. We actually expect it to be ready just in the next few months by the middle of this year.
0: Okay, that's very soon. That sounds good.
1: Yeah, we're excited.
0: Yes, me too. So Christopher and Danielle, thank you very much. That was a lot of information. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Ramin. It's been uh, great to be with you today. Thank you.
2: Thanks,
0: Ramin. Thanks for having us. Thank you again. Well, listeners, when you're driving your electric cars, think about where it came from. I learned quite a bit about this, and here are some important things I'd like to share with you. Firstly, I learned that our increasing demand for low-carbon energy must go hand-in-hand with ways to minimize the impact of renewables production on emissions and on the environment more broadly. Secondly, sound management of mineral endowments requires a good understanding of what you own and its value. Thirdly, mining can affect your water, your forests, land, and waste, policies and regulations for sustainable use of all your resources are needed. Finally, working closely with the private sector, innovative ways to finance all this will be needed. Thank you and bye for now. You can find more information about the podcast on worldbank.org forward slash tell me how. If you've got questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on all popular podcasting platforms. This podcast was recorded in June 2021. Don't forget to subscribe and thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.